disappointed. I know we focus on our singing, but let's do the check. Anybody? I got one yawn. And he's, okay. All right, go ahead and be seated. One point, Caleb was about ready to walk off with my Bible there, so I thought he was going to be preaching this morning, but give him a few more years. Um, yeah, welcome back, Cam. Welcome back, Myrna. Don was here last week, but Myrna wasn't feeling too good. She's here today. I need to... So welcome. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Nehemiah. If you're taking notes, I'll just hit the brief outline real quick. Quick review of last week, and then on to new material. If you're keeping the outline, Nehemiah chapter 9 is one through verses 1 through 6, God's greatness. We finished that, that last week. In verse 5, the Levites were saying, and, and this is the prayer that the Levites are praying in front of the nation. Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. O oh, may thy glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone art God. You have made the heavens, the heavens, excuse me, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and is all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before thee. Talked about God's greatness. Last week we talked about creation. And I did, I did do my a little more homework this week. I felt guilty I didn't have something to give, <coughs> excuse me, to give you last week. But we were talking about how many types of birds or flowers there are. I did my homework this week. I don't know if any of y'all did, but how many different kinds of species of birds are there? Any guesses? What? Oh, just a little high. A little high. Nine to ten thousand are the different varieties of species of birds that God created and designed and put on this earth. Now this one, this one is uh, just for, um, for Ron and, and Mark. How many different kinds of fish are there? How many different kinds of fish species did God create? I was going to say, if you don't get the answer right, you don't get to go fishing this year, but you got the right answer, so. 32,000 different kinds of fish God created. 32,000 that we know of. Okay, how many different types of trees did God create? My son-in-law is here. He'd probably know this answer. Dan? You, you little, uh, little more, 60,000. 60,000 different species of trees that God created. There are 391,000 different kinds of plants, and of those, 369,000 produce flowers, some sort of blossom or bloom. 369,000 different varieties 
Do we have an awesome God? What an incredible creator. And, and, and there, there is good reason at the end of verse 6 where it says the heavenly hosts bow down before him. And we ought to follow their example. Talking about examples in moms. Following our, our mom's example, that's how we learn so much of who we are and what we do. We should follow the heavenly hosts example and bow down before our God. Because he alone is God. There is only one God, and he is an awesome God, amazing, creative God. In his creation, we talked last week, he makes us account, we are accountable to him because he created us. We talked about Darwinism, humanism, and atheism, because in in their, 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 remember we talked about dodgeball, playing dodgeball. That's, that's what those three isms are and do. They try to dodge God because if they can, in their own mind, soothe their own consciences by saying there is no God, then there's no morality and there's no guilt for their sin. We'll find out a little bit more today looking at God's law. That he is a good God, but he's a just God, and he teaches us right and wrong. In his creation, he made us accountable. Today we'll begin in verses 7 and 8. The covenant, and remember this is, this is the prayer of the Levites. Let me back up one quick step. What month of the Jewish calendar year are we in here? What's that? A little, just a little bit earlier than that. It's the seventh month on the Jewish calendar, and it starts in late July and goes to late in August. What happened? What feast was on the first day? No. Musical instrument, feast of trumpets. The first day, remember, the seventh month was a bunch of celebrations in the Jewish the Jewish traditions, to to remind them of what God has done for them. The first day was the Feast of Trumpets. What was on the tenth day? The Day of... Thank you, Jill. Day of Atonement. Somebody else might have said it. I'm sorry if I missed it. Day of Atonement was on the tenth day. And then on the fifteenth day, what festival started? This one lasted eight days. Booths. That's right. The Feast of Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacle. It's where they'd get different branches from trees and put them on their housetop. On the very first day of that seventh month at the Feast of the Trumpets, the people asked Ezra to bring out the Word of God to read it. And they did, and the Holy Spirit convicted them of their sin. But Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites said, Wait a minute. Hold off on your grieving. Hold off on your confession until after the celebrations. This, this month is about God. And as soon as they were done with the Feast of Booths on the 24th day of the month, the first verse of chapter 9 will tell you that of Nehemiah 9.1. The first verse tells us that on the 24th day, they put on their sackcloth and ashes because they went back to grieving over their sin. And this prayer of the Levites is, is coming forth on that 24th day. It's a long one, but it's kind of the history lesson of the Jews. When we get down to the end, and there will be some other things for us to look at, but 
Today, we, last week, we looked at, at creation and that there is one God and how great he is. Today, 7 and 8, is the covenant with Abraham, or Abram, <clears throat> to become Abraham. Nehemiah 9, 7. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. And you found, <clears throat> excuse me, and you found his heart faithful before you. You made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashites, to give it to his descendants. And you have fulfilled your promise. What he says he will do, he does. Take it to the bank, we can rest in it, be confident. Rest assured that what God says he will do, he will do it. He will accomplish it. Last week we found the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, and we were looking back to as part of the history lesson so we could find it in other places to verify that, that these Levites giving this prayer knew what they were talking about. So we were Genesis 1 and 2. Then can anybody tell me where we find the covenant with Abram? Turn with me to Genesis 11 and 12. Genesis chapter 11 is basically the run-up. Chapter 12 is, is where we really start reading and hearing about the, the covenant. 12.1 Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless you Excuse me, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. God accomplishes what he says he's going to do. In the next several verses, we're going to see part of that promise being fulfilled, that he's doing what he says he would do. While we're there in Genesis, look at Genesis 15.6. I'd love, to, I'd love to read a whole lot more verses. Let me start in verse 5. And he took him outside and said, Now look towards the heavens, count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to Abram, So shall your descendants be. Then Abram believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram's faith was counted as righteousness. There are a couple more chapters over to chapter 17. Verse 1, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. 
for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Back to Nehemiah. So now we have we have a we have a creation. Now we have a covenant between God and Abraham. He was Abram, now he's Abraham. God says, I'm going to make you exceedingly large nation. Count the stars. I mean, how cool is it when we go outside and look at the stars alone, but if you got God there talking with you? Might just put a little extra zing into that, that viewing of his creation up there in the sky. Verses 9 through 21, we talk about the exodus from Egypt and their time in the wilderness. If we're lucky, we'll make it to verse 15 today. Just, just want to point out again the end of verse 8 there, that he, you have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. The Levites are recognizing God as a God who keeps his word. Verse 9. Then you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cry by the Red Sea. I want you to look uh, in the, right there, Nehemiah chapter 9. Flip the page and look at verse 37. And its abundant produce is for the kings, whom you have set over us because of our sins. They also rule over our bodies and over our cattle as they please. So we are in great distress. Frequently we talk about that cycle of obedience and blessing and then disobedience and God's judgment. We see it full circle here. God heard their distress. They cried out to him while they were in Egypt. As they go through the wilderness, they obey. He blesses them. They disobey. He punishes them. They repent and they come back into blessing. And here... At the end of chapter 9, the Levites acknowledge that they're in great distress. Remember, most, most of their countrymen are still off in, in Assyria or Babylon, having been drug off to captivity. This is just a small remnant that's back in Jerusalem now. But the ones that are there are following the law, because they had Ezra pull it out on the first day of the seventh month. But we're going to see as, they, as we go through here, the cycle that they go through. Exodus 2.23. Again, we're, we're looking back at the history, and you can just listen if you'd like. I'll just be there for a moment. Exodus 2.23 through 25. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and God saw the sons of Israel 
and God took notice of them. Who does God take notice of? Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. You've probably heard this verse just a couple times in the last month or so. I'll read verse 2. Isaiah 66, 2. For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. This is who I'm going to look on. This is who I'm going to look towards, God says. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Back to Exodus 2. God took notice of them. So what can we, what can we determine or figure out about where the, what state they're in in Egypt? What mental state, what spiritual state? They have humbled themselves. They have a contrite spirit. And they're crying out to God. They know they're in distress. They know they're in trouble. So they want his help. But those are who God will look at, to those who are humble of a broken spirit and that tremble at his word. Verse 10 in Nehemiah chapter 9, moving right on. Then you perform signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of his land, For you knew that they, the Egyptians, acted arrogantly towards them, the Jews. And you made a name for yourself as it is this day. Scan across to verse 16 with me real quick, like. But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. Turn with me to verse 29 there, still in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, verse 29. Admonish them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments. Okay, the ten plagues were carried out on the Egyptians because they acted arrogantly towards the Jews. That's humans to humans. But what did the Jews do here? Our fathers acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They acted arrogantly towards God. Same thing in verse 29. They acted arrogantly and did not listen to your commandments, but sinned against your ordinances. When we do that, how can we expect anything but God's judgment? We talk about the wages of sin is death. A a wage is what you get for what you worked for, what you earned on the job. They acted arrogantly and disobeyed God's laws. They should have expected judgment. They should not have expected his blessing on their lives. Egypt was arrogant towards Israel. 
Israel was arrogant towards God. How many times in my life do I feel like I know better than God does? That's when we sin. Putting ourselves on the throne while taking God off. We must obey. We must be obedient. For our actions are an indication of what's in our heart. Our actions don't save us. But it's certainly an indication of what's in here. End of verse 10. You made a name for yourself as it is to this day. I don't know. We're going to be getting in in the next week or the following week. We'll be getting into the conquest of the land when the Israelites crossed the Jordan. And do we remember who their leader was when they crossed the Jordan? Joshua. That's right. Joshua. Because Moses, he's not going to make it into the land because he was disobedient. In my human eyes, I don't always think that's fair because we're all disobedient. But he, he, he didn't do what God told him to do, so he wasn't going to get to go into the land. Joshua was leading them into the land. And do you remember what happened when the spies went to Jericho and the harlot hid them? What she said, she said, the fear of God has come before. We are ter- These people in the city are afraid. They are terror stricken because of your God. They have heard what he does, what he can do. And they are afraid. Can mark that down in Joshua 2, or excuse me, at first, Exodus 23. Here's another case of God doing what he said he would do. In Exodus 23, 27, before they even go into the land, while they're still in the wilderness wandering, God says, I'm going to send terror ahead of you. They will fear you. And then in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, we have Rahab telling the spies, We're afraid of you. We know what your God can do. Come in and take the city. It's yours. We're trembling in fear. Isaiah 66, 2. God looks at those who tremble at his word. He considers them. Verse 11, And you divided the sea before them, so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their pursuers you hurled into the depths like a stone into raging waters. Exodus 15, 1-11. That's where you'll find the story that, that verifies and backs up what the Levites are praying here. Verse 12, And with the pillar of cloud... You led them by day and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. I had a little aha aha moment here. No no great theology in depth. But to, to, to slow down and read the words correctly, it says, to light for them the way. Okay, I get that a pillar of fire will light the way. But to get the picture in my mind, 
that a cloud, a pillar of cloud, will light the way. You see a storm rolling in, sometimes clouds are dark and stormy, sometimes they're green and weird looking, and sometimes they're white and fluffy. But God had a pillar of a cloud to light their way in the day. Just makes me think thy, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That pillar was God, and, and God's presence was actually in that pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. That's how they knew he was there. He would never leave them nor forsake them. God keeps his promises. What he says he will do, he will do. And he did, he does. Verse 13, Then you came down on Mount Sinai, and you spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and you laid down for them commandments, statutes, and laws through your servant Moses. Psalm 19, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. The benefits of obeying God's word. Most mental ailments and mental diseases can be fixed by the word of God if we will obey if we will immerse and soak ourselves in God's word instead of the things of this world. There's health benefits, there's mental benefits to obeying God's word. Talk about, um, well, this book is back in the 50s. It was written, um, All of These Diseases, by a Christian psychiatrist. And said that so many Diseases that affect our body are a, a direct relationship to the state of our heart and mind. If, when, when we worry, we all know what happens when we worry. We get sick to our stomach if you're a worrier. And that's just the beginning, ulcers and, and all sorts of things. If we will just lean on him, if we will just obey his laws, obey his words, they are righteous, they are good. And he made them known to us. It's not a secret. He gave them to us for us to follow. If you want the, if you want the, the Exodus uh, reference for where the Levites are getting this from, this is Exodus 19 and 20. And Moses went up. We don't want to talk about when he came down the first time. 
Aaron had collected an earring from everybody and threw it in the fire. This calf came out all by itself. That one's always amazed me. Aaron, you're a really bad liar. (laughs) God's words have a purpose. I quote James Hamilton Jr. He says, God doesn't leave his people guessing about how to please him. It's real easy. It's, it's in his word. It's all over his word. In Micah 6.8, he has told you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The, the Hebrew word that, that they've translated as humbly there, uh, a better, more direct translation would be circum, I want to say this right, circumspectly. I wanted to say circumference, but circumspectly. What does it mean to walk circumspectly? Circum, circumference. Circumference is the perimeter of a circle. Exactly. When you, when you back the car out of the garage, do you look to see if you've got the garage door up or not? I think there's a story. Kim, Kim's laughing pretty good over there. <laughs> Sorry, Kim. We'll have, to, we'll have to get that story later. Um, but if you did that, you're, I'm sure you are, I promise, you are not the only one that has ever done that. Trust me. It's been done many times before. But then as you pull forward, you're looking where you're driving. You're looking all around. In our spiritual lives, we need to look around. We need to look at the people around us. Our focus needs to be outward. When we focus inward, we take our eyes off of others and we take our eyes off of God. The law was meant to teach us to walk circumspectly. In Philippians 2, where it talks about putting others before yourself. What a foreign concept in this world today. We're to put others before ourselves. Tell that to somebody on the street. And then duck or be ready for the reaction that you get. How often do we remember to put others before ourselves? I know there's a lot of you here that do it a lot of the time. God knows your heart. God sees. And what a privilege to know you. Because we can, you know, we talk about what's in our hearts, what comes out. If somebody squeezed us, what's going to come out? Jesus or we need to walk circumspectly to those around us to walk humbly just quickly closing Nehemiah verse 15 
Honestly, this is as, really as far as I thought I would get. I knew I wouldn't get to one today. You have provided bread from heaven for them for their hunger, and you brought forth water from a rock for their thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. Why did he give them bread? Because they prayed, God, give us our daily bread? They were a bunch of whining, sniveling, angry people. You brought us out here for us to die in the wilderness. We're going to die of starvation. We got nothing to eat. How much better would it have been if they had come to the Lord and said, Father, we're hungry. We need help. We need food. I I know I've told it many times, the story about when I was a kid and I broke the back, back porch window playing softball in the backyard. I said a word I shouldn't. But because of that, that incident in my life, I determined that when my kids said something like that, I wouldn't be quite as concerned about what they said as to why they said it. But what brought that about? What was the motivation? Mine was just plain outright fear. Because I knew I was in big trouble. But what, what, what motivates us? What causes us to do the things that we do? Why do we do them? And it's so much better for us to go to God on our knees. To acknowledge that he is the creator. To acknowledge that he is the one true God. And then to humbly put our needs before him and ask for help. Of over the food and the water. Well, I'm just, I'm just so happy, though, that there's none of us here that have ever complained about anything in our lives. <laughs> Good thing we're not like those Jews. Hmm. Okay, remember the preacher's preaching to himself, all right? We need to walk circumspectly. We need to take the focus off ourselves. Focus on those around us and focus on him. Be careful where you step. Careful who you might step on or over. Don't ignore people. Some people you just don't want to go there. If God said that about us, (laughs) I just don't want to go there with that guy. Let's pray. Father, help us to walk with you as our focus and not ourselves. Help us to walk humbly. Break our hearts, break our spirits, make us of contrite hearts. Help us to tremble at your word, Father. Thank you for each one that is here today. And ask God that as we go through this week that you would convict us if we are prone to gossip. Convict us if we are prone to whine and complain.
Help us to focus on you and the blessings that you have brought into our lives. For the richness of who you are. And Father, we would say today, like we did last week and every day, you alone are the Lord. You alone are God. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Remind us each and every moment of every day, Father, of whose we are, who we belong to. Thank you for moms. Pray for Jessica again, Father, and just pray that that the time of birth for her baby is even closer now than it was when we began. Give her strength. Give them both good health, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, for the month.